Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Thank you, guys. Good morning, 1130. You guys look great. You guys sound fantastic back there. Let's give yourselves a hand. Come on. We have an amazing worship team. Let's give them a hand. Come on. I have uh, the, the privilege to be your worship pastor and lead these guys. And I, it's, it's so easy when I have such an amazing team behind, you, behind me and production team. Come on, one more time. What are these guys back here? If you don't know who I am, my name is Ruben Espinoza. I am the worship pastor here. I have a beautiful family. I have a beautiful wife named Kelsey. You all know who Kelsey is. I have three wonderful children, Liam, Selah, and Olivia, and I won't try to guess their ages because I got them all wrong last, last time. But I am a blessed man. I am truly blessed, and I'm so thankful for this privilege. It's always an honor to step up here and lead you guys in, in, in song, but this is a special privilege. So thank you, Pastor Darian. I know you're not here, but you're going to be listening at some point. So thank you, Pastor Darian, for this great opportunity. So I've titled this message, Encouraging Yourself in the Lord, and it, and it sounds like an old school message because I wanted it to sound like an old school title, but it's not an old school message. This is something that, that's going to be encouraging for you. We're going to talk about David today, and I love David. I call him Dave because we're like this. We're really, really close. <laughs> I aspire to be a lot like David, the good parts of Dave. Um, so when I talk about Dave, I may refer to him as David or David, don't, Dave or David, don't worry about it, it's, just, it's the same guy. But here's a few reasons why I'm a big fan of David. He's a musician, like me. He's, a, he's an accomplished songwriter, poet. He's written tons of songs. The book of Psalms are like all of his jams. It's, it's everything he's written. The Bible describes Dave as being a skillful, harp player, a mighty man of valor. He was brave. He was a man of war. You see, I, I'm not that brave, but I aspire to be brave. So when I describe these things, one of these days I'll get there. Prudent in speech and a handsome person, just ask my wife. And the Lord is with him. I like this. He played for people who suffered with anxiety. He played music for them. He was a musical therapist, basically. King Saul suffered from dep- depression, um, and he was, he was constantly asking David, hey, play, this, play some music for me and ease my soul. And David did, and uh, he, he realized the power of music that God had given him. So I thought that was really awesome about David. David's not perfect, and he's not shy about it. That's why I like David. He's brutally honest with God. He lets him... He lets God know how he's feeling all the time, and that's really cool. David likes to dance. I don't, I don't dance. I'm not a dancer. I like to make people dance. But one, a cool story that I love about David is this one time, he danced until all of his clothes fell off. You're like, what? But the reason behind it was, was I think, legit. The Ark of the Covenant was coming through town, which represented the Holy Spirit. And when David saw that, he began to dance. He, he began to dance so much that his clothes fell off, and his wife was embarrassed. She was like, oh, my gosh, David, put some clothes on. First off, 
and you're embarrassing me, tone it down a little bit. And David said, woman, I will become more undignified than, than this. Because he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. And, that's, and he knew what that represented. So I loved, I loved that story. He was a king, but before he was a king, he was just a shepherd boy. And he was anointed 20 years before he actually became the king. So whenever he was anointed to become king, they was like, all right, cool. I got to go take care of some sheep. And he did that. He went back to the shepherd taking care of his flocks. And he began to see the hand of God on, on him, even way back then before he was king. He was David, the giant slayer. But I love, that's how we know David. He, he slew the giant. But my favorite way that what talks about David in the Bible, it says he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this, this amazing opportunity you've given me, Father. It's an honor to step on this stage, Father. This is holy ground. Lord, I pray that you speak through me. Give me the words to say, Holy Spirit. Let these be your words, Father God. I thank you that your word never returns void, Father, so I'm confident, Father, that you will speak to us this morning, Father. Once again, I thank you. Amen. So I want to share just for a few minutes about what do we do when we find ourselves discouraged. So I looked up the word discouraged just to make sure I still knew what it meant, and I do. It's all right. But here's a bunch of words that describe the word discouraged. Disheartened, dispirited, demoralized, deflated, disappointed, let down, despondent, fed up, dejected, cast down, downcast, depressed, dismayed, low-spirited, gloomy, glum, pessimistic, unenthusiastic, having lost heart, lacking enthusiasm, lacking in confidence, unconfident, put off, Daunted, intimidated, crushed, or just plain down in the dumps is, is what basically discouraged means. So as I said, David was a man of war. So I'm starting the story with David returning from war. He's got 600 men with him. And these are some rough men that we'll talk about them in a little while. But he's just returned from battle. They're going back home to a place called Ziklag. That's where him and his... His family had been staying, waiting for David and his men to return. So from where they were, it was a three-day journey back to Ziklag. Long, long trip. I don't know how they used to roll the horses there. Either way, it's a long trip. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off women and children and everyone else, but without killing everyone, anyone. When David and his men saw this, saw the ruins and realized what happened to their families, they wept and they, until they could weep no more. So after traveling for three days, they are, I'm sure, hungry. They're exhausted. They're hangry. They're, they're exhausted. They're thirsty. All they want is to come home to their families, lay down in their comfy bed, and sleep and relax. And well, that's what I would want to do anyway, after fighting and beating people up for, or killing people. Anyway, so they're wanting to go home and rest, basically. But they're caught off guard. 
they did not expect their homes, their, their places of rest to be just ashes and smoke rising. So it says they're, they're beside themselves. David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. So these guys are beyond frustrated now. They're tired. All they wanted was food and their families. Like I said, the very last thing they, they expected was this. So the enemy will use the element of surprise to knock you off your game. He fights dirty, he sucker punches, he doesn't play fair. That's who the devil is, he's a weasel. So we've gotta stay alert. The men blame David. Predictably, after all this happens, all the men are angry, so they're gonna blame the guy who brought him there. They're gonna blame David. First Samuel chapter 30, verse six says, Davy, David was great, Davy, got a new name for him, Davy. <laughs> was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. And each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. So, yeah, I'd be mad too if my, my family was gone. I'd be wanting to hurt somebody. David could hear them talking behind his back. They were saying, if David didn't make us go, we wouldn't be here. If he would have left some men behind to protect our women and children, this wouldn't have happened. It's all David's fault. Stop here for a second. But David is obviously in a spot. He's obviously discouraged. I've had some rough days in my life. Nothing compared to David's, but I'm going to tell you about a, a, a rough day that I had in my life. So, as many of you know, you've heard my testimony. I used to be an alcoholic three and a half years ago. God set me free. I am no longer an alcoholic. But I'm going to go back a few years to my lowest point in my life. I had, my dad had, had just passed away, and I had started drinking even more than I was when he was alive. I was doing everything I could to numb my pain. So this, I was living with my mom, 30-year-old 30, 30 living with your mom. I was, I was embarrassed. I was, there was no hope for me. I thought I was just drinking nonstop. I had gone through several outpatient programs, several classes and courses, celebrate recoveries. Everyone did their best to try to help me. I just wouldn't recover. I would slip back into it every single time. So I had some family in California and uh, a really good friend of mine in California, he said, hey, let's Let's try the Dream Center. Have you been to the Dream Center? Have you heard of the Dream Center? I said, yeah, I've heard some, some good things. He said, why don't you come out there? I said, okay. So I was, born, I was born in California, so I was excited about going back to my old stopping grounds, but the reason I was going back, I was not very excited about. I was born and raised in, in Southern California. Moved here when I was 12. So I went back to Los Angeles, California. My very first day there, I realized it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be, but I stayed. I get there, uh, they get all my baggage, they shave my head, take off all my hair, and I was really mad because I had a really good fade, and they just <laughs> they took care of that, took all my clothes, they gave me some shirts to wear. 
So there I am, not in the middle of just addicts, I'm, I'm homeless people that have just come off the street that are just hungry, um, show up and they let them in. Um, I realized very soon that I'm surrounded by convicted felons, uh, rapists, uh, murderers. Um, it, it felt like a prison to me. It wasn't a prison, but it's exactly what it felt like. Um, I was scared. If you know me, <clears throat> I'm an introvert. I like my space. I like to know who's in my space. And I like, to, we have to be cool for me to be relaxed. I was out of my element. I knew no one. The very first night, I, am, I have my backpack, which is empty, because they took everything. Even, I had some really good cologne that they took, and I'm mad about that. Anyways, I have my stuff, and it's, it's like midnight by the time I get checked in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm going into where I sleep, which is a big room full of 20 people that I've never met. And they're all asleep, half of them are asleep. So I see a, a, an open bunk on top. There's, there's bunk beds, so I see a spot on top of this bunk bed. So I grab my stuff, and I go in to jump in this bunk bed. And, then, and as soon as I jump, my knee hits this person in the face who is sitting there. He bows up. What are you doing, man? Starts wanting to start a fight with me. And I'm like, Whoa. the only thing that saved me is I was about a foot taller than him. That was it. I was like, I'm sorry, man. I didn't see you. You're a really dark person. I didn't, I didn't see you there. <clears throat> anyway, so that was my bunkmate. I, I slept on top of him. So you imagine my first night. I'm like, holy cow. This guy's going to kill me. But I realized, man, I'm, I'm out of my... I, no one cared who I was. No one cared that I was a worship pastor or worship leader. No one cared who my dad was. No one cared that I could play the piano really good. No one cared. After they shaved my head, I looked like every single Mexican that was there. I really did. Blended right in. I was alone, scared, 2,000 miles away from my family. I had nothing, absolutely nothing. Everything was taken from me. I was still detoxing, so I felt like crap. I didn't feel good. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be around anyone. But I stayed. I stayed because I knew we had church. There was church. We were going to go to church at one point, and I was looking forward to that. So two times a week, we would go to church in, in Los Angeles called Angeles Temple, and it's um, not too far from where we were staying at the Dream Center. So every twice a week, we'd get up, put our shirts on, and we would walk about a mile and a half to this place, single file. People thought we were prisoners, and I felt like a prisoner. Down Sunset Boulevard, just crazy. It was the weirdest thing. This is a place where I like to visit someday, but right now, you got to look straight at the person behind you. We get to church, I hear the music, I start to sing, I start to lift my hands, I start to cry. God, I, I have nothing. I have nothing. All I have is my voice, so I'm giving it to you. All I have is my voice left. I have no piano in front of me to play, I have nothing to hide. So I've got my voice still, so I'm gonna lift my hands, I'm gonna sing God. And I started to sing, and then I could hear God starting to, to sing back to me. 
So I don't ask, I don't have to ask if any of you have been discouraged. I know, I know all of us at some point have been discouraged. But my question is, how do we find ourselves as Christians discouraged over and over and over and over again? How do we fall into a cycle of, oh, woe is me? Sometimes things hit us out of nowhere. I understand that sometimes you'll be blindsided by a situation that you have that's out of your control and will bring you to a point of hopelessness or discouragement. But a lot, a lot of times, if you're like me, it, it's, it's my own fault. It's, it's a decision that I've made. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my friends. I can't blame my coworkers. It's a decision that I've made. And, I've, and just like David, he realized, I did it again, God. <laughs> I did it again. And I can't tell you how many times my dumb decision has, has put me into a discouraging place. So what do we normally do when we get discouraged? Do we, do we cave at the first sign of, of something going wrong? Do we call everyone else before we talk to God about it? Do we get on social media <clears throat> and tell our sob story so maybe we can get some, someone to help us out, someone to to feel sorry with me or help me get discouraged. And there's nothing wrong with that, don't get me wrong. There, there are places where we, you can reach out for, for help, but I'm talking about when, you, when, when, you, when you're alone and there's nobody else around and you're discouraged. One of my favorite moments in David's life, David's life, comes up. Chapter 30, verse six. In that moment, It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. That little sentence right there. That's where, that's what this message is about. David found strength in the Lord his God. That's where he was encouraged. So let's imagine David, 600 men, weeping, cursing, blaming, talking about rebellion, wanting to kill him. These guys were, were outcasts. These were, they were pretty gangster. They were not afraid to throw down. I promise they were not afraid just to take David out like that. So just imagine David listening to all this going on around him. But then I picture David sitting down in the dust. He's crying, he's exhausted. But he's, he's, he's praying. And then I, I believe he starts to sing. Remember, he's a singer. He's a songwriter. All he's got is his voice left. His family's gone. He's, he's surrounded by enemies who want to kill him. But he realizes he can't allow himself to become depressed. He can't allow himself to be filled with, with hopelessness. hopelessness. He can't become defensive. He needs to connect with God. God himself, that's the only way he can find the strength to go on. So what does he do? He worships God. And he waits patiently and remembers who God is. This is what David does in that moment, I believe. Psalms 40, verse 1. It says, for the director of music, of, oh, that's me, the director of music. Isn't that funny? <laughs> A psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. 
Psalms 30. I'm, I'm sorry, Psalms 3, verse 6. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. The Bible also says in Deuteronomy, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither, neither fail you or abandon you. And then we all know this well-known chapter here, Psalms 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this is David talking about the goodness of God. In, in the moment while he's thinking he's about to be killed, he's thinking, no, this is who God is. And I remember when I was a little shepherd boy, God helped me take care of my sheep. But I grew up in church and I heard, I've heard this scripture a lot. And every time it came to verse five and it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I, I had trouble understanding what that meant. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I, like lunchtime? Like I don't, I don't feel like eating right now because I'm surrounded, I'm about to be killed. I, don't, I, I didn't get it until I did some, some studying. I did some research and uh, let me tell you what, what what it means to me, that, that little verse. See, whenever David started to see his enemies, by this time in his life, whenever he starts to see like he's surrounded, there's no way out. In his mind, David's like, oh, it's time to eat. God says it's time to eat. So for me, it's like going to my mom's house as a grown-up and her making me some dinner. And as soon as I walk into my mom's house, everything's okay. I don't have a care in the world because mom's there. She's cooking me some enchiladas. She's cooking me something really, really good and it smells really, really good and it comforts me. So as my mom is preparing my food, she's like, how are you? And we're fellowshipping, we're talking. I don't have time to worry about my problem. I don't worry about my problems because um, I'm talking, I'm having fellowship with my mom. It's kind of like that, that big brother who takes care of that bully for you at school. I grew up in Southern California, like I said, and I went to elementary school there. And I have, I have three siblings. I have one older brother, an older sister, and a younger brother, his name's Jonathan. And uh, at the school I went to, I had, I had two bullies. One was named Rudy, he was about this big. And he had a friend named Edgar, who was huge, big, big guy. Like, remind me of Eric, or, man, he was a big, big, big guy. They didn't like me for some reason. I have no idea why I didn't do anything to them, but they, didn't, they hated me. Like, I mean, come on, how can you not like this person? I'm a nice guy, I didn't do anything to you. But instead of trying to bully me, 
through me, getting to me, they would bully my brother. Whenever I wasn't around, they would grab Jonathan, they'd take him to the bathroom, and they'd start messing with him. They'd start bullying him, they'd start hitting him. So Jonathan would run to me from the bathroom crying. They're bullying me again. They're trying to beat me up. So imagine, I'm skinnier than this. I'm a beanpole in, in, in elementary school, but, but you do not mess with my little brother. So I ran up to that bathroom and found those boys in there. I grabbed Rudy. I said, leave, leave my brother alone. And I look at Edgar. <laughs> you leave my brother alone. And I don't know if it was a look in my eye, but they were freaked out. And they're like, oh, okay, okay, oh, we were just kidding, man. And there you can see my brother Jonathan smiling, because I'm there. So I say, let's go to lunch. So as long as Jonathan's sitting with me, those bullies can't touch him. So that's how I see that little scripture. So God himself, in the presence of my enemies, I'm surrounded by even the decisions that I've made, even the bad decisions that I've made that have made me gain enemies, God says, Reuben, come on, it's time to eat. He sets me down. What do you feel like eating, son? And he'll serve me. And he sits down with me. And he's talking with me. While my enemies are walking around, there goes my accuser with nothing to say. There goes that liar that has been spreading lies about me with they can't open their mouth. They can't do anything about it because God himself is sitting with me. There goes your manipulator who has no longer can control you, no longer has any power over you because you're in the presence of God himself. So as we're sitting here eating some good food, having good fellowship with my father, my enemies are powerless. They drop their weapons. They walk away. They can't do anything. They're scratching their head and like, that was it. So whenever I read that scripture, it means something different to me now. It's, it's different from, from the bully or the big brother that takes care of the bully because when I left, they would try to mess with him again, but God never leaves. He never leaves you or forsakes you. That's what the Bible says. So David knew that God would see him through once again. So let me tell you what not to do when you're discouraged. Number one, don't stay there and feel sorry for yourself. Don't sit there and start thinking it, thinking about it over and over, replaying it, scenarios in your head. That's a dangerous place to stay. A lot of us are really good at describing our problems to other people. A lot of people are really good at making our problems just, oh my goodness, what was me? And we like to invite people to talk about our issues and our problems and how bad things are. But it doesn't matter how many people invite to your little pity party, the only person that, that wants to be there is the devil himself. And he enjoys being there. He enjoys talking to you through your, into your ear and replaying what happened 
He takes the truth and distorts it. He takes your biggest fears and capitalizes on them. He sets traps specifically for you. So don't listen to those scary voices. They're a ploy of the enemy to plant seeds of doubt in your mind. Don't listen. Don't stay in that little, little spot. Don't do that. He'll do whatever it takes to keep you from remembering what God has promised you. That's what his job is. So don't sit there. Church, come on, church. That was number two. Number three, don't forget everything God has brought you through. So I believe in that moment when David was sitting there, he thinks back to when he was a shepherd boy picking his nose, protecting the sheep by himself, practicing his slingshot skills. But whenever a lion or, or an animal would come up to try to attack his sheep, God gave him the power to rip that lion or bear in half. That's what the Bible says. He gave him the strength to destroy animals. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. It, that's amazing. But he didn't forget. So how do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? What exactly do we do? Like, that's a lot of good stuff, Reuben, but come on, give me something. Well, here it is. One, if you're discouraged, get your mind right. It's all about your thought life. I'm telling you, it's all about your thought life. Take every negative thought captive. Take it. The Bible says you have that power. Take it captive. You know what take it captive means? You grab a hold of it. You seal it up. It's trapped in there. It can't come back in there. You get rid of it. You have to realize that we as Christians, we go from glory to glory. From victory, from one win to the next win. It's not from one discouragement, oh man, I wonder what's gonna happen next. No, we go from victory to victory. So in your discouraging moment, in your little, in your little spot there, you're just in the middle of victories. That's it, like it's coming, so it's on its way. You realize that, you're gonna be good. Open up the Bible. That's where God's promises all are. One of my favorite verses is, I love God's promises because they have been thoroughly tested. He keeps his promises. So open up your Bible and read it. That was number two. Number three, get the focus off yourself by encouraging someone else. That, for me, has been the best way for me personally to get out of my little pity parties that I've got. Once I, once I get my head up and look around, I'm like, oh, I've got friends that, that are going through stuff. I can reach out. I have reminders on my phone sometimes. Hey, check on, check on Eric. See how Eric's doing. Message Rick. Rich. Who's Rick? There's Rick. <laughs> Encouraging someone. It takes, us, it takes the, the focus off what's going on you. And, and I promise you, while you're working on encouraging someone else, God's doing the work to encourage you. And he's going to take you out. It happens every single time. Worship. Open your mouth. 
Lift your hands. Sing about God's goodness. Sing about his promises. Remind yourself who God is. So that's how David found his strength. He worshiped. So after that short little worship set he's got sitting there, he has a little short conversation with God. And I love this conversation. It's found in chapter 30, verse 8. I'm going to give you my, my version of it. David talks to God. He said, God, should I go after those people who took my stuff and my family? And God says, yeah. And then David asks, will, will I get everything back? God says, you will certainly, certainly overtake them. That's all David needed. He's like, all right, I'm out. Let's go. Let's get all our guys. Come on, saddle up. Let's go. So they make their way back to where the enemy is. So here come David and his boys. They top the hill and they find the men who took their stuff. First Samuel chapter 30, 16. And there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought, fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. That is a lot of fighting. That's a whole, that's a long day. But like I said, David was a man. The man, not a man. Yeah. And none of them got away except for 400 men who rode off on camels and fled like little girls. It didn't say that. <laughs> David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl. Nothing was, was taken. Everything that has taken was boy or girl, plunder, or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove ahead of the other livestock saying, this is David's plunder. I like that. So David got it all back and so did all of his men. Like God promised. Like God said, yeah, you will certainly overtake them. Go get them. So there I am singing at the Dream Center in tears, a blubbering mess. And I'm, I'm singing and I'm asking God, will I ever recover? Is this me for the rest of my life? Is, is, is our people gonna know Reuben as the alcoholic, poor guy? Is that gonna be Reuben, God? Is that, is that who, who I'm supposed to be? And God says, nope, because remember what I promised you when you were a little boy? And I made you. I made you to play. I gave you the gift to play. He said, I, I gave that to you. I promised you one day you would be leading my people in worship. And I will fulfill my promise, son. He restored me. Like I said at the beginning, I'm a blessed man. I have an amazing family. I have an amazing wife. I have an amazing church family. I have the honor of leading you all in worship every week. It is an honor that I have, that I've been given for this, for this time that I'm here. But I learned that the battle wasn't mine. It was his. 
So let me tell you, it is possible to encourage yourself in the Lord. But whatever God has promised to you, you may be sitting here bound by something. You may be sitting here the lowest point of your life, hopeless, addicted. But let's remember who God is and what he's done for you. You do not have to stay there. I'm telling you, if God did it for me, he will do it for you. I can say that with all confidence because I thought there's no hope for me. But I found my strength in the Lord by lifting my hands. I had nothing, nothing else but a voice. In the very moment I surrendered it all, and I said, God, I don't know, I don't know. I have no idea, but please show me or speak to me. And he spoke to me. So as a church family, we're here for each other, to encourage each other. So don't get me wrong. We are here for you. Before I am the music guy, before I'm the worship pastor, I am your pastor. I am your friend. I'm here to pray with you, for you, encourage you. But if you find yourself alone, if you messed up again, if you slip back into it again, there is hope. That's not it. That's not it. You're not done. Uh Uh-uh. God's not finished. Let's be a church that finds our strength in God. Let's be a church who knows where our, our source of joy, our source of strength is. It's from God himself. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.